0: Welcome to the North Richmond Hills campus of the hills. Welcome all of you that watch online every week. You're already aware that some exciting things are happening at our church in the weeks ahead. I'm pumped about baptism weekend in just three weeks and hope you will be praying about that. I'm excited about the ladies conference and I want to speak a word to the men. There are many women who want to come to the conference, but they won't be able to come unless some men step up and make it possible for them to come by doing some things they would have to do if you don't step up. So, guys, let's step up. Uh, Joe Sexton and Amy Lively are sought-after speakers. I can't believe we're getting both of them at the same time at one conference. Nika Maples is on the program, one of the most inspiring speakers I've ever heard. And then Maria Goff, the wife of Bob Goff, who has spoken the last several years at the men's conference, is going to be here. And Bob is coming with her. Any one of these four women could keynote a conference and it would be a big deal. You get all four ladies in one weekend. So the week after the conference, there's going to be two groups of women. The women that are talking about the conference and the women that are wishing they had gone and saying, tell me about it. Please don't be in that second group. And guys, you do what you need to do so that your special lady can be in the first group. It's going to be an awesome conference. I'm excited about next week uh, to find out what our one dollar bills collected did to bless the family. But I'm also excited to need your help because next week at three o'clock. At the Connect Church in South Arlington, we're going to be holding a special service of our church. I'm going to be preaching a different message than I'd preached that morning. Praise band's going to be there. We're going to have child care up through fifth grade. And here's why. We've had for years interest from people in Arlington, Mansfield area about the possibility that someday we would open a campus there. So we're just going to have an exploratory interest service to see who might come. We need your help to get the word out. Because you know people that live in that part of Tarrant County. So would you get the word to them this week and let's just see what God will do. And the reason we do things like this, the reason we have Harvest Weekend in November, is because we believe God's mission should be unlimited and we should explore every avenue to expand the word of Jesus. Now, one of the avenues or strategies of mission used when I was a boy was a practice called door knocking. Door knocking was where you would walk up to the home of a complete stranger, knock on the door, and if they came to the door, you would ask them intensely personal questions about their spiritual life, even though you'd never met them. My father took me door knocking as a boy, probably because I had misbehaved and needed to be punished. So you can appreciate the story of the two young men that are going door knocking. They come to the home of a woman. and When she finds out why they're there, she gets irate. She intends to slam the door as fast as she can to show her frustration. But that door mysteriously bounces back open. So she tries again to slam it in her face. But again, it almost supernaturally comes back open. Mystified, She tries to slam it one more time, but before she can, one of the young men says, Ma'am, before you do that, you really ought to move your cat. <laughs> and that might be the only cat that has a chance to go to heaven. Because it was trying to keep the door open for the good news of Jesus. You see, there is a divine component in every conversion story. Every Salvation is a miracle because we were dead in our sins. We were blinded by the prince of darkness. It took a work of God to quicken our hearts and open our eyes to hear and receive the word of salvation. And this is what God does because he is relentless in pursuing his lost children. His passion and his perseverance and his resourcefulness are unlimited. God will not even be limited by the limited vision of his own disciples. And that's so clear in the story we're going to study today in Acts chapter 10. We're in Acts 9 through 15 seeing how the church it went from a local movement to a global movement. And in Acts 10, we're going to see God give a vision to two very different men. Let's meet the first guy in verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa. To bring back a man named Simon, who was called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. Well, doesn't it make sense if a guy liked to tan, he would have a house by the sea? Hey, just wait, I got more. So this guy, Cornelius, lives in Caesarea. Now, Joppa is 30 miles away, which is a pretty good walk for that day. And he's told, you don't waste time. You send some people there quickly and you find a guy named Peter and ask him to come back. But Cornelius was not the only person getting a vision. So we keep reading about noon the following day. As they, the people that Cornelius sent, were on their journey approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. And then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. And the voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times. And immediately the sheep was taken back to heaven. So Peter's hungry. He goes up on the roof. He falls into a trance. And he sees this sheep with all this kind of food on it. But it's the kind of food he's been told all his life he's not supposed to eat. It's reptiles. It's different kinds of birds. And obviously it would have been swine. The one thing Jews knew they couldn't eat. Which, by the way, is where we get the phrase pigs in a blanket. Hey, don't groan. Because the next time you eat bacon, you need to thank Jesus. And Peter then utters the ultimate oxymoron, the ultimate contradiction in terms. Surely not, Lord. Now those words don't go together. You don't say, no, Lord. But Peter feels the need to tell God that in order to be faithful to God, I need to disobey what God has told me to do. And God says, don't go there, Peter. If I've said something is clean, don't you call it unclean. And to overcome his stubbornness, God had to give him the vision three times. And Peter's perplexed. So let's keep reading. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, We've come from Cornelius the centurion. He's a righteous and God fearing man who was respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Now, if I was going to make a movie about this story, I would title it An Officer and a Gentile Man. I promise that's my last. But every word's important. Because he was a Gentile man. And that made him off limits as far as a Jew was concerned. And he was an officer in the occupying army that Peter's people hated. But I think it's very important to notice something. In the New Testament, every single time a centurion is mentioned, They are always mentioned positively. Every centurion in the New Testament is mentioned as a good man. I need to say something. In every profession, there are bad apples. But in my experience, most of the men and women I have known in what I would call the protection industry, whether you're talking about law enforcement Or armed services. The overwhelming majority of those men and women. Were good, noble people. Like Cornelius. He served his public well. And his public service was honored. But his personal sins were not covered. Because no matter what he had done for the needs of other people. It had not solved his greatest need to know how to be forgiven of his sins. You see, Cornelius needed Peter. Now, why didn't the angel just tell Cornelius what he needed to know? And the best answer I can give you is because that's not the way Jesus chooses to unleash his mission. He said in Acts one eight, You will be my witnesses. And when Jesus wants someone to know how to get saved, He always sends someone to tell them. In Acts chapter 8, Even though the eunuch has the scripture in his chariot, The Spirit sends Philip to him to be a witness. In Acts 9, Jesus Himself talks to Saul. But he doesn't tell Saul how to get saved. He tells Saul, go into town and I'm going to send somebody to tell you how to get saved. This is the plan and the will of Jesus. Because faith does not come by watching. Oh, somebody needed to hear that. Because many of us labor under the misperception today that if we just live good lives, don't cuss much and treat our wives well... People are going to walk up to us and ask how to be saved. No, they don't. Faith comes by hearing the good news about Jesus. And God is not just wishing that people would get saved. He is actively arranging, divinely arranging encounters between seekers and speakers. But his intentions can be limited when the speaker has a surely not perspective. So back to Peter. He goes with the men 30 miles back to Joppa. When he gets there, he finds out that Cornelius has invited a lot of people to come and hear from the man of God. So it says Peter went inside And found a large gathering of people. And he said to them, you're well aware that it's against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Now, that is not the most enduring opening to a sermon I have ever heard. To start your sermon by saying, well, now, you know, I shouldn't be here. You know, I've never hung out with people like you in my life, but God told me to come. So here I am. What you need? You get the clear impression that Cornelius is not the only person God is trying to reach. Because God is preparing Peter for the mission he has prepared For Peter, just like God is preparing you for the mission, he has prepared for you. I want you to notice something. At the end of chapter 8, after Philip is baptized the eunuch, it says that Philip traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. He stayed there a long time. We read in Acts 21 that he had a house there and raised four daughters there. Philip lives in Caesarea. Where did Cornelius live? In Caesarea. So why did the angel tell Cornelius to send for Peter? Why go 30 miles that way and 30 miles back when a guy that can tell you about Jesus is right down the street? Do you see what God is up to? Yes, Cornelius needed Peter, but Peter needed Cornelius because God often works on us, even as he works through us. And God often gives you an assignment, not just so you can help the person he's sending you to, but so in the midst of obeying, God can do a work in your life. And so Jesus arranged a divine encounter to prompt Peter, so that Peter would start practicing what he preached. See, Peter preached a good gospel. He preached the very first gospel sermon. They said, what should we do? He said, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this promise is for you and for all who are far off. Well, who's far off? Ephesians 2.13, Paul says, you Gentiles were once far off from God. And Peter knew that. He was there when Greeks came and said, we would like to meet Jesus. And Jesus said, now's the time for the Son of Man to be lifted up. And when he is, he'll draw all men to himself. He was there when Jesus said, I want you to go into every nation and make disciples. He was there when Jesus said, you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. But it's years later. And he hasn't gone anywhere. And he hasn't preached to anybody that didn't look and think just like he did. Because we often live better than we believe. But often we believe better than we live. And sometimes it takes time to grasp the full implication of what we believe. Peter said, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears Him and does what is right. I now realize now I get it. Now I understand. God doesn't play favorites. Do you realize how radical that was? No one back then believed that. Everyone would have told you God plays favorites. That's why your nation has a God, so He will give favor to your kind and to your people more than to anybody else. Do you understand, in the ancient world, the most radical and nonsensical thing anybody ever said was, for God so loved the world. No, He doesn't. God loves a certain subset of people in the world. Do you understand today, even as our culture is disdaining the Christian faith, its core values are attributed to the Christian faith. For example, all men are created equal. Where did that come from? Nobody in the ancient world believed all men were created equal. You know where that idea came from? The life and the teaching of Jesus of Nazareth. That's where that came from. And Peter is saying, I'm starting to get it. Yes, Peter needed Cornelius to finally understand the full implication of the gospel. Just like Cornelius needed Peter to understand the gospel at all. So let's listen to the gospel. Peter said, you know, the message God sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. And we are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. And all the prophets testify about him, that everyone... Who believes in Him receives forgiveness of sins through His name. Did you see how inclusive His language was? He is the Lord of all. He went around healing all. Everyone that believes in Him can be forgiven of their sins. Now He's preached this sermon before. But He's never preached it like this before. Because there are some things... About Jesus that you just don't understand until you get outside of your comfort zone. And sometimes preachers preach too long. Can I get an amen? And heaven decided he's taking too long. So it says, verse 44, that while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They've received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. God was so eager to see the nations get saved that He interrupted Peter's sermons. Because when it comes to tearing down the walls of racism, actions are better than words. We talk too much. We need to do something. So God just did something. And by the way, if the Holy Spirit interrupts your sermon, go ahead and offer the invitation. And Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way Of their getting baptized, can they? And the irony is, a few hours earlier, Peter would have stood in the way. A few hours earlier, everyone that came with Peter would have stood in the way. And how are we standing in the way of God's mission? What are the biases and prejudices still on our sheet? That are keeping us from seeing the world that God sees. Because here's the truth. People from church keep people from church. There was a evangelist campaign in India. Many stood up and gave testimony to how Jesus had changed their lives. There was a man there, a government official, who was a Brahmin, a member of the highest caste who was getting disturbed. So we asked if he could have a word. He stood and said, I, too, believe I am saved, but I am saved by the religion of my fathers. The evangelist said, I'm glad to know you were saved. Then you will want to join us as we're dismissed. We're going to go into the streets with some food and some medicine to minister to the outcast and the homeless. Well, this disturbed the Brahmin who believed that even if his shadow touched those people, he would be defiled. So he stood back up and said, I still insist that I am saved, but I am not saved that far. Peter had not been saved far enough. And like Peter, the church still struggles with a limited vision. But the good news is, like Peter... The church is capable of receiving illumination from the Holy Spirit, increasing our capacity to truly see the unlimited mission of God. It is possible for us to receive improved vision. So I'm going to ask you this week to pray, to see. As God sees. And here are three prayers you might start with. Lord, help me see that everyone needs Jesus. Missions is not charity. Missions is a divine necessity. Because no one is righteous. Not even one. Good people need the gospel too. Like Cornelius. Because as good as he was, being good is not good enough. In chapter 11, verse 14 of Acts, here's what the angel told him. Peter will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. Because even though he was an honorable man, honor does not cover sin. You do not reach God by being good. God reaches you with good news that a Savior has come. And what would happen if we would begin to see people not by the color of their skin or by the gender or by what part of town they live in, but in terms of whether or not they know Jesus? What if we began to ask God. Help me see people in their relationship to Jesus. Because there's no one so good. That they don't need Jesus. And there's no one so bad. That Jesus can't save them. Lord, help me see that everyone needs Jesus. And Lord, while you're at it. Help me see where you are at work. Because God refuses to be tamed and domesticated, He'll not fit into any box that limits. His mission, including some theological box that says this is how the Holy Spirit works and this is only the way the Holy Spirit can do things. The Holy Spirit will do and God will send the Holy Spirit to do whatever God wants to do in His relentless pursuit of His lost kids. Because He is actively at work arranging divine encounters between seekers and speakers. And that means that person that you never thought you would ever cross paths with is not an accident. That means that you and I have got to learn to get more comfortable being in situations that make us uncomfortable. Because this is where God wants us to be. Because God loves to shape you and bless you by putting you in a place with somebody who's not like you. Paul Borthwick is a missiologist. Lives in New England. And when he's in town, he works at his church with the young adult ministry got to know Peter there. Peter was wrapping up his master's degree at Harvard University. So Paul was surprised several months later to walk into a McDonald's and see Peter working there. What are you doing here? Well, after several months, I couldn't find a job and I had to pay some bills. So I'm working here for now. Paul said, I'm so sorry, Peter. And Peter said, don't be sorry, Paul. God wants me here. On my shift, there's a Buddhist from Sri Lanka. There's a Muslim man from Lebanon. There's a Hindu woman from India. There's a Christian from El Salvador. Every day I get to be a global missionary while saying, do you want fries with that? What a wonderful way to see the world. Because God is bringing the nations to us. In the last number of months, there's been a lot written about refugees about immigrants, displaced peoples. And honestly, some of the things I have read by Christians makes me cringe. Now, many of those issues are above my pay grade, but here's what I do know. Every single person matters to God. And I also know that doors are being opened into people, groups, groups, that have never been opened before because they're displaced and they're receiving the word of the gospel because Christians are being kind to them. And I do not want to stand in the way of what God might be doing. And so, when you meet that person next week who is nothing like you, Instead of wondering, what are you doing here? You might start asking and praying, Lord. Why have you put me here? Is this a divine moment? Instead of asking for a move of God, what if the church just became the move of God and started being on mission to the people he puts in our lives? Which would mean we've got to pray one more prayer. Lord, help me see what biases are still on my sheet. We all deal with racial residue. And part of the problem is it's easy to convince ourselves that we don't. I'm not a racist. I never use that word. But the reality is we all have been affected in ways we don't even know by cultural baggage that shapes the way we look at people without even realizing we're doing it. So instead of denying it, let's ask the Holy Spirit to expose it so we can start defeating it. Back in the 1990s I preached a series at this church on racism. And it made some people pretty angry. Some families left our church because of things I said. And I had just finished a sermon one morning and a woman approached me and she was mad and she let me have it. She wasn't a racist. She just didn't want to have to be around people that didn't look like her. And she soon left our church. And I could tell Right after her was another woman that wanted to see me. Her name was Gay Davis. Gay, for many years, was an office volunteer. She was the wife of one of our former elders. Faithful Christian in her 70s. And if you knew Gay, you knew she had strong convictions and she didn't tolerate nonsense. And she approached me with a stern look and I thought, okay, here it comes. And she said, about this series you're doing. I said, yes, ma'am. And she said, I'm looking forward to discovering the chinks in my life I need to deal with. And I thought, how awesome. How awesome that at this stage in her life, she knew there were still things she needed to see. Ask God to help you see better. Ask Him to help you see what's impeding your love for the lost. Ask Him to help you see what you still need to realize about the gospel. Ask God to help you see who the Cornelius is in your life. Because we're all still being converted. And God wants to take us from standing in His way to learning where to take a stand. Some of you will remember a young preaching associate that worked here with me for some years named Jonathan Stormont. Jonathan, if you remember him, recall, lived in Arkansas, grew up in a small town, small church, homeschooled. And the culture in which he was raised in rural Arkansas. Was racist. And he breathed the culture like every boy did. He wrote in a blog a few months back When people want to know about my conversion to being a disciple of Jesus, I tell them about when I was baptized. But then I almost always tell a story that happened a few weeks later. I was driving along with some of my friends, and we were passing by the home of a new family who had just moved into our all-white rural community in Arkansas. Or at least it used to be all-white. My friends wanted me to yell the N-word out the window when we drove past. And I intuitively knew that my baptism meant I couldn't do it. I had used that word plenty in the past. I'd made those jokes. And now I knew it was wrong. It actually devolved into me getting to a fist fight. With my previously best friends and having to walk four miles because I lost my ride and my friends. But as I was walking, I knew that day I was a Christian. I knew I was a Christian more than I was a redneck, an Arkansan, a white person, a farm boy or an American. That's my conversion. Or at least the start of it. But I've come to realize it's the main part of any Christian's conversion. It is to realize that we now belong to a new humanity. If you've been baptized, then you don't accept the labels of the world anymore. It is my conviction in our current culture. There is nothing that could unleash the mission. And make Jesus shine more. Than if his people. Grew in their capacity. To see all people. The way Jesus does. Long before Dr. King. Had a dream. God gave His church a vision. We need to pray to see how unlimited it truly is. Would you bow your heads? And so God, our prayer today is simple. Help us see better. And yet it's hard because A lot of us think our seeing is just fine. We don't see that we don't see as well as we think. And so God, give us a vision. Show us what is still on our sheet. Increase our capacity to see people. The way Jesus sees people. So that more people will see Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.